0: This episode of The Working Experience is also brought to you by an app that I created called Still Believe. Still Believe transforms a picture in your home into video proof of children's favorite magical characters. With the app, parents can catch the magic of the tooth fairy leaving money under their child's pillow or Santa delivering presents on Christmas Eve in their home. You download the app, take a picture, and we create the magic. We utilize feature film visual effects artists to transform your picture into your Still Believe video to amaze your children. You can tell your kids that you have a special app that can detect and capture the tooth fairy and Santa and then present them with the video proof in the morning. The look on their faces is priceless. Your Still Believe video is created in minutes and you can then save it to your phone and share it on social media. The app is free to download and also has in-app purchases. So for $3, you can catch the tooth fairy in your home. The Still Believe app is available for the iPhone on the App Store and Android on Google Play. Our aim is to bring joy and wonder into the hearts of children around the world. Check it out at stillbelieve.co And that's S-T-I-L-L-B-E-L-I-E-V-E dot C-O The Still Believe app was created by my digital media agency, One Circle Media. OneCircle creates content that builds networks and audiences across multiple platforms, servicing networks, studios, brands, and Fortune 500 clients. Check out our work at OneCircleDigital.com and OneCircleBrand.com. If you work for a studio, network, startup, or corporation and are looking for a partner to create media that will build, engage, and entertain your audience, reach out to me at john j-o-h-n at onecirclemedia.com or dm me on instagram at john brancaccio and that's j-o-h-n-b-r-a-n-c-a-c-c-i-o i'd love to hear from you thanks everyone and i hope you enjoy this episode of the working experience hey everybody welcome to another edition of the
1: working experience podcast Hey everybody, this is Maddie Kay. Today I am speaking with Erin Griffith. She is a writer for the New York Times. She has written for the Wall Street Journal, Wired Magazine. Erin writes about the tech industry and its impact on the workforce in general. And today we're going to be discussing grind culture. The notion that people are working more and more as a way to justify their work. All right, stop. Tom, I'm going to start again. Hey, everybody. This is Maddie Kay, and this is another edition of the Working Experience Podcast. Today I'm talking with Aaron Griffith. Aaron is a writer for the New York Times, Wired Magazine, and the Wall Street Journal. She writes about the tech industry and the impact that its culture has on the wider workforce. We are going to be discussing grind culture and the notion that people are working more and more hours as a badge of honor. So listen and enjoy. The
2: Working Experience
1: <laughs> 93 North is almost at a standstill. It's a rough one out there this morning. Snow and sleet. There is no service on. Stand them. clear of the closing doors, please. Uh, yeah, folks, we're gonna be a few minutes. We have train traffic ahead of us. We should be moving shortly. John, need that report ASAP. Where
2: are we on that presentation?
1: Dan, HR wants to see it. Did
2: you return that email yet? We have a team meeting at ten. We need to stay
1: late, Bob. Teamwork makes the dream work. They're <laughs> moving in a different direction. And after the meeting, we'll have a breakout session. We'll my chest. Where are my hot pockets? This microwave is disgusting.
0: Oh, uh, uh, what's that? He was wow. <laughs>
1: Hey everybody, uh, this is Matt and this is another edition of the Working Experience Podcast. And today we are speaking with Erin Griffith. And uh, Erin, uh, her article, she wrote an article about uh, why young people are Pretending to like work so much, like why people are really getting into this grind culture. That was one uh, one thing that caught my eye, and also the uh, toil glamour. I thought was also a pretty indicative, uh you know, phrase to sort of uh, what I came up with was like fetishizing work, like that it was all about work. That if you we're working hard. You're supposed to work harder. Uh, you talked about the, the cucumber in the, in the water at WeWork. Is that right? Yes. And, uh, is that a real thing? Is that, is that an actual thing that you saw?
2: Uh, I personally did not see it. I, in the article, if you're at, I embedded a tweet of a person who, Posted a picture of it and all of the WeWorks have fruit water and they all uh, Some some of them have carved different motivational sayings into the cucumbers floating in the fruit and the one that I had uh, Noted in my story, which I embedded the tweet with the picture of it in the story The cucumbers say don't stop when you're tired. Stop when you're done
1: Right, right and uh, that's all part of the grind culture that you're, you're supposed to be working more, you're supposed to be working harder, you're supposed to be, uh, the, another thing that caught my eye was the ROI, the return on investment. That, um, everything you're supposed to be doing is, or everything you do is supposed to have something to do with, uh, with what your business is all about. hmm Yeah. Um, it, it just sort of seems nonstop, you know, so, uh. I just wanted to get to you a little bit about, um, you know, what you do, what you write about, who you write for, uh, how you got drawn to writing about, you know, business culture in general.
2: Sure. So I'm a correspondent at the New York times, uh, based in San Francisco. I joined about six months ago from wired magazine, uh, where I was for, uh not quite a year um and before that i spent a number of years at fortune magazine writing about uh technology um startups venture capital facebook google twitter um pretty much all any and all forms of technology self-driving cars i wrote about at fortune so i've been covering that uh the tech industry for a while. And sometimes that includes, um, you know, noticing the absurdities of business culture, particularly startup culture, um, as it expands more broadly into mainstream business culture.
1: So you see uh, startup business culture as sort of separate or kind of its own ethos?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, so I, I started writing about startups, I guess, in maybe 2011, 2012, and um, it, it was not that long after the movie Social, The Social Network came out, and um, in, um, the TV show, I uh, think, was uh, becoming sort of popular around that time, and, you know, TechCrunch disrupt and uh, its tech conference were sort of um, had had hit like a, a new point in pop culture it seems like where um, a lot of people were looking at the tech industry as a uh, as a bright spot. Uh, coming out of the financial crisis when we had the created these Wall Street villains um, and uh, we could look at pl- something like Twitter and see th- the role that it played in the Arab Spring and think oh my god this is this is like exciting and cool and this is something that people want to be a part of and oh by the way it's making people extremely rich too um, and so that sort of entire phenomenon has taken a lot of interesting forms over the years, but one of the things that I've paid close attention to is the way that the broader business world is reacting to technological disruption, and um, a lot of that uh, winds up being this cosmetic imitation of of tech culture um where businesses uh know that they have to be innovative they know they have to uh keep up with the times they know they have to avoid being disrupted by an up-and-comer and And so one of the ways that they do that is by just kind of imitating um the surface level things that they see tech companies doing. Like they see, you know, Google has an open office plan with free lunch and, um, you know, uh, beanbag chairs. And so they decide, okay, well, let's, let's have an open office plan with free lunch and beanbag chairs. Um, and maybe that will make us more innovative. And so a lot of the aspects of tech culture, some of which are cliches or, or even punchlines have, um, you know, infl- have, have, I guess, What's the right word, have um, seeped into mainstream business culture and, and kind of uh, become adopted as almost best practices. And that includes um, this sort of culture of overwork and of, of loving it and projecting the image of loving it.
1: Well, I guess that, yeah, you know, it's, it's funny that you, you say that because when I really started to think about... Um, well, let, let me take it back. Cause you, you said something interesting. It's like, uh, if these businesses just sort of adopt, like they put beanbag chairs in or a ping pong table, or they have a, you know, espresso bar that is somehow going to make the job more fulfilling and more innovative. Is, is that, is that kind of what, am I getting that right? Um,
2: no, that's not really the connection that I was making. Um, I I guess I'm saying, um, I I don't, I don't know if that has anything to do with companies intentions around job fulfillment. Um, so yeah. Well,
1: I guess, um, what I, I was thinking about, uh, is the, I, it occurred to me like, is working so much, is it ego driven? Is it anxiety driven? Is it is it like people who really they just feel like they have to work more hours to to kind of make the job fulfilling or is it or is there a real purpose behind it or do they just kind of feel like this is what you have to do?
2: Sure. Yeah, there's a there's a um, a lot of reasons, I think, behind it. But for sure, purpose driven is is a piece of it. Um, startups uh, have to, uh, do a lot of wild things, a lot of, um, uh, extreme things to succeed. It's really, really hard to create a company from scratch, especially a high growth one. Um, and, uh, a, a piece of that, a way to motivate people to buy into that, um, is with a mission, And, um, you know, big tech companies have this all the way down to startups, but it is definitely a hallmark of most tech companies that they have, they rally their workers around the sense of mission of changing the world, of making the world a better place. And um, that has rippled out for sure to the rest of the business world and it it takes kind of a hilarious form sometimes i mean it gets made fun of a lot it was a huge punchline in the hbo show silicon valley but that has not stopped companies from from doing it, um, I mean, this idea of of making the world a better place is a huge, uh, is is a good way to motivate people who are, you know, typing code or building products that are essentially, you know, advertising technology, or, you know, like a smart toothbrush, or it it doesn't really matter what it is, if you can attach this sense of mission and of, of, you know, work Contribute to something meaningful. It certainly helps motivate people to pour their heart and soul into something versus just do a nine-to-five kind of like, okay, I'm clocking out and I'm not thinking about this again until uh, Monday morning. Um, so for sure, the the idea of this mission-driven thing is is used by tech companies, but you know, increasingly, lots of different companies.
1: Well, I think that's what I meant. Maybe maybe fulfilling was the wrong word, but it was sort of to be like, we're going to give meaning to this job that you you would not really find meaningful. Like it's not, you know, curing a disease or something like that. Like, as you said, you're writing code to, yeah. Yeah. you know, or or the smart toothbrush or the smart refrigerator. So it's sort of like if we adopt all these things, then we can sort of. Maybe Jedi mind trick people into thinking they're really doing something important when maybe it's not. Yeah, Um, I
2: mean, not to denigrate, like you know. No, no, no. Companies do interesting things, but it it reaches a level of absurdity, which is what I've noticed at a lot of places. Where okay, sure, like your your on demand like food delivery company is making is bringing convenience to people's lives for, for a small cost. But like, is it changing the world? Is it truly, you know, no, let's not. And- yeah. So, and, and you can take that to, to further and further extremes when you see increasingly silly or, you know, possibly unnecessary startups pitching their businesses as a world changing. Um, it, it, it's kind of funny. And then it's, it's, it reaches another level of absurdity when you see like really, really stayed Fortune 500 companies kind of taking that same messaging um, and it's like okay, well, you're like a dental supply company. I mean, right. yes, yeah, it's important yeah. for people to have you know good dental hygiene. But
1: like right, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I I I hear what you're saying. It, it kind of it suddenly reminded me of uh, I, I've never really worked in an office, but I I work in education. Uh, but um, it reminds me of like wacky tie Wednesday of the '90s, uh-huh. Hawaiian shirt Friday. And it was all just to kind of mask this, like, you know, but that was, that was very obvious. And this is, uh, like when you get into the, the, we live and the, the, we grow and are those real things?
2: Yes. Uh, really we work, WeWork, which is a, um, nearly 40 billion dollar valuation um office subletter company i know, you know they, them They, they, they yeah. own buildings. yeah just for your listeners um yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, they own buildings all over the world and they basically chop them up into little pieces and sublet them to, um, small businesses. And then they also work with, they're working with large businesses now, but they have recently rebranded themselves to the we company to better describe or to, to better encompass all of their businesses that go, that they are going into, which includes we grow, which is a, we work branded School for budding entrepreneurs, starting at the age of I don't know, I think like three, as well as uh, we live, which is this kind of idea that they've had for a number of years, but it hasn't really expanded beyond a a couple locations, Um, but it's essentially like shared housing. So, um, you know, and they have a gym called Arise by We. Um, They have partnerships with some food providers. So essentially there's a world, it's almost a little dystopian. If you think about it, where every single thing that you do in your life um, from the, You know, where your kids go to school, where you work out, where you sleep at night, where you work all day could be we work or we company branded uh, experience, um, which is kind of a little
1: weird, weird, creepy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, the we you can, grow you can your, own,
2: draw your own conclusions from that. Yeah,
1: yeah, no, no judgment, of course. Uh, but we grow three years old. They're teaching kids to be entrepreneurs.
2: I haven't actually done a ton of um, reporting on that. Just basic, just my reading on what um, what they've announced on it. So I, I don't have I don't have the full latest details on what that is. But from what I understand, the idea is yeah, for um, <laughs> kids uh, teaching them. I mean, they're the founders of WeWork come from uh, sort of non traditional backgrounds. Um, I think two of them grew up on a sort of commune situation. So they believe in this like communal living, and so that's kind of their their way of putting that out into the world at at all levels.
1: Yeah. And, um, it reminds me, we, we read an article, uh, we talked about an article about Facebook and, um, it was sort of like the dirty laundry of Facebook. It was people talking about the culture there and it's, you know, very, very competitive. And it was, um, ex-employees talking about how evaluations were used to kind of pit each other against one another, like employees would evaluate each other and you wouldn't really know who had said what about you. And uh, the work culture, you know, you're supposed to be working 60, 70 hours a week. You're also supposed to be posting on Facebook how great it is to work at Facebook. (laughs) So it was this very circular You know, and then it occurred to me, and I thought about this with um, Marissa Mayer, who wrote, uh, or Marissa Mayer, who wrote the the memo that came about working one hundred and thirty hours a week. And you know, I and to get and and you said this uh, a few minutes ago, like, what are you actually doing? Like, I don't know. Like, my a family member of mine had laser eye surgery a couple of weeks ago. Uh, She's older, and her vision was kind of getting bad. And now it it took 12 minutes and she was so happy with the result. Like, wow, I can see now, like she could, she was having trouble reading Mm -hmm. and all this and that. And, um, and she said 30 years ago, you got older, your eyesight went and that was it. I mean, you know, so that really, whoever developed that technology, I mean, that has really changed people's lives, literally. I mean, that, that is, And to me, you don't have to sell that, you know, people who work in that industry who do that work, this like Yahoo, Facebook, these startups, it feels like they have to sell it, you know, to make it meaningful. They have to like convince people that it's meaningful. And because I guess inherently it serves, as you said, a small purpose, but it's not like some life changing thing, you know? Mm hmm. So that that's just, like, when I was thinking about um, working at Yahoo and, like, what is actually going on for 130 hours? And I really wonder, like, how productive is anybody after a certain period of time, you know?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah, the, the, there's, you know, I think that the book that you referenced earlier doesn't have to be crazy at work. They cite a lot of data points that show that after you know, 40, 50 hours, productivity begins to go down, people are actually just less efficient, they take longer to do things, and they make worse decisions. And so overwork is one aspect of this. And then, you know, loving it (laughs) is the other.
1: Yeah, like, not only do you have to do it, you have to put on the face that you love doing it, which is what employees at Facebook were referencing, like, you had to be happy about the situation. Like you couldn't grumble about it or someone would put that in a peer evaluation. So it was like that added pressure of, I can't even complain about this.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: So. I mean, what, what I think is sort of important to, to know about this. And it was one thing I tried to be careful about in my article is you know, the obvious pushback to like, we're talking about, oh, isn't it terrible? We have to love our jobs. And the, uh, the easy knee jerk reaction is, oh, what do you want? Everyone to be miserable? Do you want everyone to hate their jobs and complain all the time? And like, you know, that's not it. (laughs) It's just, it's more about, um, you know, having the freedom (laughs) to not like it sometimes having, um, you know, the ability to, to say, no, it is just a job. I do the job because I want to make money. And sure, it can be fulfilling on some level, but it is not my entire, uh, the only way I find meaning in my life and it is not the way that I identify myself. And um, it's not, you know, basically all encompassing to me, which is, I think, what happens uh, when you start going down this road.
1: Yeah, like well, I guess that's where the we work, we live, we grow, rise gym and and all of that. It's like it, yeah, it's it becomes so all-encompassing and I wonder if there's a point to that. Like your your whole self-worth seems to be tied or a a person's self-worth seems to be tied to how they perform at their job, which is uh like you don't have any worth outside of that.
2: Right. That's, a, that's what I think is, um, kind of sad. And when I, when I was talking to some of the founders, which you had alluded to earlier, you know, one of the founders that had, I had found him because he, uh, had posted a blog post, uh, years ago saying you can only choose three of the five areas of your life to, to, to have. And that is sleep, uh, relationships, work, and uh what health i guess or working out and then i don't know what the fifth one was but basically you can't have everything you can't be good at your job sleep and you know also have strong family relationships and also work out like it, and it was just sort of this like It felt really sad. It was like, well, I don't want to say you can have it all, but (laughs) this just doesn't seem like a good philosophy to be putting out there. So anyway, I checked back in with with one of that guy, and he was like, yeah, actually, that following that strategy was terrible. I I looked up and realized that I was miserable. That it was like, you know, I I had gained a lot of weight. I had alienated my friends and family. My company wasn't even that successful, and I wondered what it was all for. And so I started. You know, cultivating uh, hobbies and and ways to spend my time that weren't uh, that weren't related to the business. Um, and you know, I joined. He said he joined a book club and just started reading for fun and watching, going to movies for fun. And it was like this revolutionary idea to like, it it was this crazy thing to imagine spending an hour or two a day doing something that wasn't, that did not have direct payoff for his company. And I think that is sort of like what gets lost is like, there's always more work that we can be doing. And especially with like our smartphones and Slack, there's never a moment when we could, not be working you know it's like we never actually ever unplug even on sick days you know there's like there's fewer sick days now people just work from home when they're sick and they're kind of still plugged in um and so that idea of of actually just taking time and being like what is fulfillment to me what do i what do i enjoy in life and and why am i working is is it actually because i believe in this mission or do i just want the paycheck and do i want to have a fulfilling life that includes interests that are not related to work
1: well and it seems like it'd be healthier if people could be honest about that
2: mm-hmm. right yeah
1: you know and not have to put on this facade of like I love as you say that the, thank god it's Monday like <laughs> you know like do I do I have to come here and work and also do all this like rah, rah, you know, like the, the one from Dropbox was hilarious. The, their slogan line Uh, about, you know, uh, it's like you guys transfer files. Is that correct? (laughs) Am I missing something? And that's great. I mean, it's, it's a wonderful convenient. I use, we transfer, you know, I use Dropbox, but yeah, you know, I remember, uh, Some years ago, I worked in the film industry. I was a a grip, you know, kind of a lighting guy. And we went to film an industrial at a Walmart in upstate New York, Monroe, New York. And we witnessed, and I will forever want to unsee this, the Walmart cheer, where they get everybody together and they cheer. they do A a W. (laughs) And yeah, it's really... And these these are grown adults. I mean, these are people in their 40s, their 50s, and... um, they're making them do this cheer and that seems to have now, I mean, Walmart has been roundly mocked for that, but it seems like many industries have that form of, they, they have it somewhere. You know? Yeah.
2: It's well, it's this, um, it's this thing and uh, it emanates out from the tech industry. I mean, like the Laszlo Bach, um Google's head of HR uh, wrote this best-selling book, like I think it was called Work Rules, and I I think like a lot of HR people took that to heart and they're like, oh, culture is so important and and like culture is not just like you know integrity or uh, our business values, but it's ping pong tables and parties and like that just like everyone loves to work here and that sort of there are companies that have good cultures like that, that probably did do something to foster them, but it probably also came naturally. Um, and I think there this, this desire to manufacture that it's like, yeah, it just becomes so absurd that it's laughable. And it's, especially when big companies like Walmart do it, you're just like, be who you are like they're just can't like,
1: i just stock the shelves and you know have some dignity and go home at the end of the day yeah sure I,
2: there's some study that some consultant at McKinsey or somewhere like you know pushes around that's like when people are happy they do this and it's like well just pay them more
1: <laughs> yeah Money you makes know,
2: makes people happy <laughs> right
1: i i also feel like that that is some of the like inherent dishonesty of this like all right, you need to like pay, but like in your I mean, article, tech,
2: tech, tech companies pay their workers plenty. They don't pay the sure. contract, the outside contractors who do the things like serve them, serve the free meals and things like that. Those, those people I, I don't think are, are given the same treatment, but they pay their, their, you know, coders and their worker bees and salespeople very well. Um, so that's not necessarily an issue. Um, in that but
1: industry the, but they still feel the need to talk about work culture and I mean because I guess even after a while of you know big paycheck I mean you know if you're working 12 hours a day at a job that you don't really like I mean money's nice but you know I don't know you do hear about people saying I mean my my uh, business partner who we do the podcast he worked at Morgan Stanley about 20 years ago. And he la- he worked in the investment banking. You know, beat out uh, thousands of people to get that job. And he last. See, there five- is
2: an industry that does not pretend to be anything other than what it is. <laughs> you know, uh, it's, it's just about money. It's just yeah, right, yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. They
2: don't. They're not trying to like sell the world on this idea that they're that they're making their world a better place.
1: <laughs> what you mean? You don't? You think companies don't do that? Uh, not in banking? No, banking. Oh, banking, banking. No, no, right. Investment banking. Well, that's what he said was kind of refreshing about it. They don't do any of this stuff. They don't care about the work culture. If you're miserable, good, you know, fine. And we don't care what you are like personally. You can be a reprehensible human being. If you made us $500 million last year, you're golden. You're you're wonderful. So there is a certain like refreshing, taking out the middleman you know, just, of course, on the other side, I said, what if one of your sons was sick? And you said, you know, listen, I can't be in for the next three days. He's going to be in the hospital. And he said you would be fired. I mean, there's just no bones about that. If you're not, you know, my kid is sick is not an excuse. So, um, yeah, you know, talking about Elon Musk a little bit, I found this quote from him. Uh, quite interesting. Nobody ever changed the world in 40 hours a week, on 40 hours a week. And I that sounds just sort of a throwaway thing to get people to work harder. And you make the point in the article that this is to benefit Elon Musk. I mean, he's making billions off of this, off, off people working 80 to 100 hours a week. I think he said 80 should be baseline and then peaking at 100
2: yeah. Yeah. And that's sort of, I think what <laughs> kind of rubs me the wrong way about those things. It's like, yes, okay. He is working the, that long of hours, but, um, you know, by, by pushing everybody on his team, he's sort of like uh, ignoring the fact that, well, who stands to benefit most from this? He does. <laughs> and when people at the top sort of advocate for that kind of overwork, it's, you have to sort of that out. I mean, he gets a pass because he's this visionary guy that people will follow him, you know, into onto the battlefield, and he gets he he's really he's getting away with advocating for some really unhealthy <laughs> uh, business practices, and um, you know, I think it's it's worth pointing that out.
1: Yeah, like buying into this may not be healthy for the people working at his company it's healthy for him but not he them.
2: he the one thing to point out about that is that he is the most you know he's the person who openly is like vocal about that you know he will say long that he works these long hours and he expects his team to a lot of other places know how bad or maybe in some cases illegal that Is and so they most places won't openly advocate for overwork, but it's still implied in the culture. I have I got a lot of feedback from this article from places that I know are um, perpetrators of overwork, hustle culture, you know, burning people out, and and the leaders saying to me, "Oh, we totally agree with your article. We we do not think people should." should work too hard and balance is important and self-care is important um you know they will say that <laughs> publicly but implicitly and in, in their company cultures and in sort of what their expectations are of what they want their workers to turn out that's not the practice And so it's sort of, you have to sort of be careful when you see anyone out there advocating for like, oh yes, work-life balance balance is so important and we care about our people. Um, That doesn't always translate to (laughs) what the real work practices are inside these companies.
1: Yeah. And again, it gets back to the honesty thing. Like if you were just, you know, honest about it and uh, said, yeah, we, we work our people, you know to 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 the point of breaking them, like law yeah. Farmers. At least
2: Elon, at least Elon Musk is saying that, I mean, right? Yeah, yeah like, right. Who he's willing to say it out loud. I mean, I, I think he takes a lot of heat for it, and and people criticize him for it, and uh, people equally are praise him for it. Um, there are people on both sides of that, but at least he's saying it out loud, whereas a lot of other people are are just being total hypocrites about it.
1: You know, it also makes me think about. Uh, people who work for Elon Musk are obviously well-educated. Is that, would that be fair to say?
2: Sure. Well, I mean, yeah, I guess, uh, sure. He, he hires a lot of knowledge workers, a lot of engineers, and there's also people that are working on the, the factory lines, um, building the Teslas
1: and that's blue collar work. Yeah. I was just gonna, and, and, and John and I, uh, my partner, we, um, talked about this, you know, people working at a certain level, college-educated people for the most part and so forth, talk about job satisfaction and work culture and things like that. Uh, You know, I used to teach in the South Bronx. A lot of the parents I taught, single mothers working two, sometimes three jobs. Like, job satisfaction and work culture did not enter into the equation at all. They just had to work to survive. Mm -hmm. and many recent immigrants, and uh, not a lot of education, and, I mean, they just worked themselves to the bone, and there was no beanbags, no ping-pong tables, (laughs) none of that when you're cleaning motel rooms, and, you know, I'm doing a podcast with a woman uh, next week who cleans motel rooms in Brockton, Massachusetts, you know, it's, like, way on the other end of the spectrum, she has a daughter to take care of, Mm -hmm. so it's just... The contrast has always struck me between the two. Because I certainly come from the former. You know, I I have a master's degree and all of that. But, you know, I do try to remember that there are people, I mean, these issues don't even arise. They're not even part of their thought process. Because they can't be. So, I don't know. I don't know. I just, (laughs) like, there are the Elon Musk's and working 80 hours a week. And there are people who are working 60, 70 hours a week you know, minimum wage or less who are just trying to put food on the table. Mm -hmm. So, um, I had another point I was thinking about. Oh, yeah, I was, how much, and something you said uh, brought this up with the way executives talk about it in public. Like, you know, my father was a lawyer who had a, a practice here in town and he would have various people work for him. And his philosophy was always like, look, If, if you want to leave at three o'clock in the afternoon, I don't care if you want to come in at noon and work till nine, whatever, as long as you got the job done, like that's what I need you to do. So I'm kind of wondering how much of this is sort of about control, like that these executives really just want kind of your, your mind, body, and soul. (laughs) And it's not really about what you produce.
2: Um, I don't know if that's it. I think, um, I don't know if it's that sinister. I think from where I sit in the tech industry, it's, um, there's a lot of, um, bad decisions and bad practices that come out of good intentions. Um, and people just not truly thinking through the consequences, Um, you know, like the reason that a lot of small startups don't have, uh, you know, like uh, paid leave for new parents is because they only hire young people and haven't had anyone on staff yet that uh, has been become a parent yet. And (laughs) they haven't thought about the consequences of not having an HR department early in their, in their development as they begin to grow. And so, and then you, you realize that problem once someone has to point it out. And so I think that's just one example of like a lot of the ways that like big problems have come from the tech industry when people haven't, just haven't thought through the consequences of, of their actions and, and generally have the best intentions, but um, watch things kind of go sideways. Um, and so I don't necessarily think that like m- that overwork and and this like sort of chirpy rah-rah, do what you love culture is is sinister. I think it becomes sinister over time, um, but it starts out, I think, with with good intentions. <laughs>
1: Yeah, as do many things, I would think that sometimes go awry. I guess, yeah, maybe not so sinister, but it's like they want your commitment. I I guess maybe is, yeah. and if you're not committed, if you, you know, have other things in your life uh, that you want to do or have to do, um, it's sort of. I, I remember doing a, a podcast about these um, work events that offices companies would. Sort of coerce their employees into like the 5K run on Saturday.
2: Oh, God. <laughs>
1: or the group hike. And this one woman said, you know, she was a little bit older and she had some health issues. And she was, it was negatively reflective, reflecting on her performance appraisal because her manager was this fitness nut who would organize these like 10 mile hikes on a Sunday. And, and it never like,
2: occurred to him that yeah, that, that would be, you know, excluding certain people. He just thought it would be a fun thing. It was a woman
1: actually who was, who was doing it. They're both, both women. (laughs) The the manager was a woman. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Right. Never occurred to her.
2: Yeah. And so, yeah, that's, that's just like a great (laughs) example of that. Uh, it is there for certainly in, in the tech industry, um, here and like i said that's definitely rippling out to the broader business world um, there is like a kind of a collapsing of personal and private lives um, there's no real distinction your work friends are your are your friends and the tech industry is just like you know in the air you can feel it you can absorb it by osmosis just by being on the streets of san francisco or palo alto and so there there there's no feeling that things need to be separate or that you need to have a personal life. It's like your work is your life. And so that, that culture I I don't like. Um, and, but I, I do get, I do hear stories of people who, um, you know, they feel like they're not being successful professionally because they're not as engaged personally in the company's social life. And that's, that's a problem.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I don't have that culture at, where I teach at all. I mean, I don't, you know, I, I like my coworkers. We're friendly with each other, but I never see them outside of, you know, school or anything like that. I mean, we don't, <laughs> I, I mean, it rarely something will come up, but it's certainly, you know, not. Well, one school where I taught, they were, they were going to give everybody Fitbits and they wanted to, like, have contests about, people's fitness and whatnot and there was some real pushback on that it was like look this is none of your business like my fitness regime is not up for public consumption so Mm -hmm. uh there's been a bit of pushback but so i just wanted to um know a little bit about like how you and you, you referenced it somewhat as we were talking but how do you come to a story like i i read some of um I read your article about like unicorns, the, uh, the startups and, or, or a story like this, like how to, does that come to you reaching out to people? Do you hear about things and think, oh, I, maybe I want to explore that. Or how does that process work for you?
2: Uh, for finding stories? Um, yeah, finding
1: stories of what you're interested in or, you know, writing about.
2: I, uh, I just am meeting with people constantly, I'm reading constantly, I'm on Twitter constantly, I'm out in the world uh, that I'm reporting on trying to um, you know, identify patterns and trends that I think are interesting or weird or more often absurd um, because there are so many absurdities in the, in the tech and startup world. Um, and it is a little bit of a bubble and so they don't often acknowledge the absurdities. Um, and, uh, so yeah, that's, that's basically it. It's if I see themes that are coming up over and over in certain conversations, or if I see something that seems to go against the grain of, of, um, of the conventional wisdom in the startup world, um, I'm always, you know, kind of attracted to that and and interested in, in exploring it. And, uh, from there I start talking to my editors about it and try to convince them to let me spend time on it.
1: And so, would you start reaching out to people in that realm or the issue that you're pointing at and say, like, "Hey, tell me about this or like if you were writing about young people pretending to like work, like did you reach out to people and say, like, "Hey, what do you think about this?" or
2: uh, for this for this story, I you know, I had I've been covering WeWork for a pretty long time and I've always sort of taken any opportunity I can to to poke a little fun at their their culture, which I have always, you know, viewed as as a little bit over the top and silly with this whole like hustling thing. However, they're also extremely successful. Um so it's clearly working and, you know, having conversations with people who 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 can also see both of those things who also you know and talking to them uh has kind of helped me crystallize my ideas on it and then I in this particular instance you know I knew I wanted to talk to uh people who were um promoting these ideas and um like the person from 1:37 p.m. which is a startup uh and entrepreneurship site and I knew I wanted to talk to uh, people like the authors of, uh, it doesn't have to be crazy at work because they had written a whole book on kind of a tangential theme. And I knew I wanted to talk to, um, academics who had studied the history of labor and, uh, and like labor propaganda, because I just, I, I made this kind of connection to Soviet era work propaganda which I just thought was so fascinating and so I wanted to learn more about it so I reached out to some academics who um, who were kind of well versed in mercantilism and uh, and and also Soviet uh, work propaganda and so you know I just wanted to get a wide variety of uh, opinions. And then I had seen, you know, when Elon Musk was tweeting that there was this movement in the UK called the four hour work week that was responding vigorously to it. And so I wanted to talk to them as well. Um, and then I just kind of went, went fishing around for some entrepreneurs and hustle influencers that maybe, um, you know, I wanted to understand this mentality and why people felt this way and whether or not it worked for them. And so I I tried to find a variety of people who had been online promoting it um, to to speak to them and get their perspective.
1: And um, how did you get drawn like it in in the history of your what you do? How did you get drawn to tech in particular? Do you have a background in that, or?
2: Uh, no, I, I was uh, writing about finance, um, private equity and venture, or private equity and uh, and mergers and acquisitions. Um, that was my first uh, reporting job, and I wrote about that all through the financial crisis. Um, and then once that sort of calmed down, and um, I was sort of tired of it. There was, you know, once you go from a period where there's just like. Everything is falling apart and there's crazy headlines every single day to, oh, it's kind of back to normal. Everything's fine. It's, it's, um, yeah. it's kind of hard to get excited about, uh, about deals every day. And so I, I started writing about um, the tech, and tech industry, particularly uh, Facebook and Twitter around the t- around uh, 2011 I was at ad week and um, it was kind of the time when these companies were getting really hot and exciting and uh, everyone was talking about Facebook's IPO and it was super valuable and it just seemed like this this a good moment to start paying attention because the economic power was shifting uh, to the west coast and, and these companies were increasingly taking huge, pieces of our lives and 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 really making a big impact um and then you know with mobile phones um uh, becoming ubiquitous it just seemed like there was no slowing to that and so that's how i got interested in um in startups and
1: uh in tech yeah and you mentioned how uh i thought it was interesting how that is going into a new generation like they've kind of disrupted existing institutions of, you know, the taxi driver and Mm -hmm. food delivery and and things like that. And now that's maybe a bit saturated. So now they have to move on to software to sort of disrupt that. And these cycles are interesting.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's all software, but the, yeah, I mean, companies like Uber and Airbnb have taken, you know, consumer facing industries like taxis and hotel and, you know, ported them into your phones. Uh, and, you know, now Uber is, is uh, on paper worth more than Goldman Sachs and Airbnb was for a time worth more than Marriott. Um, I think Marriott's now worth more. There is a merger and some other things that happened there. But uh, th- these are huge companies that are being built, that are growing very fast and they're extremely powerful and they're very valuable. Um, and, you know, the, the, the obvious consumer facing uh, uh, opportunities are, are drying up for investors, at least for venture investors which is what i cover and now um tech startups are moving deeper into into more uh specialized niches like um software for life sciences researchers and uh software for farmers uh to analyze the data of their crops and that's a that's a fascinating area and Every single aspect of our, industry, of our economy is, is being touched and transformed by software. And this is not a new idea. This is something that Mark Andreessen, the venture capitalist, predicted in 2011 with the Wall Street Journal op-ed titled Software is Eating the World. It just has taken a little while for it to eat every piece of the world. And so <laughs> we're seeing it go into, in, deeper and deeper into industries that are not super um, known for being super uh, innovative.
1: You know, uh, that leads me to, um, I have a friend named Daniel who works for the BBC. He's been there for over 20 years. And we talked specifically about how technology has changed his job so much. Like, he's kind of a one-man band now. You know, he goes out with his phone. He's the video guy. He's the, you know, he puts the story up right away. It gets a quick edit. Whereas 20 years ago, he'd be out with a photographer uh, you know, it, it was just a slower process and now it is like bang, 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 second to second, get those stories up, load them up. He just, you know, said it's really changed the dynamic of his work.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So yeah, tech does seem to not seem to, it does. I mean, it's influenced my job and, uh, you know, I mean, I couldn't do this podcast without really the, you know, the innovations of Skype and all of that. So mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, um, I, do you have like a biggest challenge in your, in your job? Like, do you have something that's always kind of a hump you have to get over with a new story or a new, maybe new people you're talking to or something like that?
2: Um, mostly, uh, the fact that there are only 24 hours in a day, which I, I do have a phone call at two that I have to, I have to hop off and take. So I only have about four minutes left.
1: (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Uh, and, um, Well, that was great. Yeah, let me end there. Uh, I have a lot of other things I'd love to ask you about, but I'd love to ask about the unicorn.
0: Talk about that
1: sometime. (laughs) That was really fascinating. You have to, free. I come from this very much as a layman. So (laughs) I- Well,
2: I I try to write it in ways that, you know, the layperson can understand. So I hope that's coming through a little bit.
1: (laughs) Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, I think probably a finance person would ask different questions, but I think most of our audience, you know, would- uh, very much appreciates kind of the translation for people like me, like how this really, you know, works on a day-to-day basis. So thank you very much. Uh, I really appreciate it. Aaron.
2: Yeah. And,
1: uh, yeah. And, um, thanks everybody for listening. And, uh, we will talk soon.
0: Thank you everyone for listening to this episode of the working experience. We'd like to thank our sponsors, one circle media and the still believe app the only app that delivers video proof of the Tooth Fairy and Santa by simply taking a picture. Download the app at stillbelieve.co today and amaze your kids. And if you work for a studio, network, startup, or corporation and are looking for a partner to create media that will build, engage, and entertain your audience, reach out to me at john, J-O-H-N, at onecirclemedia.com or DM me on Instagram at John Brancaccio, J-O-H-N-B-R-A-N-C-A-C-C-I-O. I'd love to hear from you. And thanks again for listening to another episode of The Working Experience.